You're listening to the Epic All Day Podcast with Jim Simcoe. I'm here to help you make your life epic, so let's get rolling with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Epic All Day Podcast. Glad to have you guys with us today. We have a really special guest today. We have Jeff Robbins, former rock star, current tech CEO. CEO. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So this is so you're like officially the very first and probably the only rock st- the actual le- legitimate rock star that I will ever have on this podcast. So, uh, <laughs> so that's pretty. Cool. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Jim. <laughs> I, I guess maybe you I could have. certainly have bigger rock stars on than me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. So you were so you were the lead singer of the band Orbit, right? From yes. Back in the day. Yep. Okay. And can you, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Cause that just sounds awesome. Uh, well, man. Um, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta go back in my memory. Uh, let's see. Um, so in the early nineties, I was kind of kicking around the Boston music scene, mm-hmm. trying to get things together. And, uh, there was sort of this plate tectonic shift <laughs> in the music scene when, uh, Nirvana kind of broke through and yeah. all the music that had been called college rock before that, you know, yeah, uh, kind of became much more mainstream. And all of a sudden all the stuff that I was enjoying, uh, kind of had some commercial viability to it. <laughs> and, uh, Boston had a, had a, a very vibrant music scene going on. And, uh, I started a, a new band and I don't know, it just kind of things lined up. Uh, and basically within about six months of forming the new band, uh, we were in a record label bidding war and we wow. got to m- meet a whole lot of people from a whole lot of record labels and <laughs> go to New York and LA and all sorts of places to talk to them. And, uh, and we ended up signing with, um, A&M records in, in 1994, um, and yeah, and I basically spent the rest of the nineties in a van, uh, touring around the U S and Canada and a little bit in Europe, but, uh, um, a lot of that. And we did the Lollapalooza tour in 1997. Oh my God. What was and, that like? Uh, it was fun. I, we had, we had a song that, you know, kind of got into the modern rock top 10 for, I don't know, a few weeks. And, uh, that was medicine, uh, right? Was it medicine? Yeah. 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 And so we got to, uh, we got invited on the, on the Lollapalooza tour. Um, but we weren't, I don't know, we, we very, had a sort of very blue collar work ethic about, about what we were doing. And, you know, it it was the Lollapalooza tour. So like we could get a tour bus and we could do that, but we, um, there was a Jerry Seinfeld episode, uh, back in the early nineties as well, uh, about flying first class. And once you've flown first class, you can't ever go back to coach. Right, and, right, right, right. and we felt like, you know, if we got that tour bus, we're never going to want to go back to the van and it's really expensive to tour in a tour bus. So we'll just do the Lollapalooza tour in a van, which was, uh, really something because all the other bands, you know, would, would travel overnight. And, uh, and oftentimes they were, and, and they were booking, the Lollapuzza tour as if the bands were touring in tour van and tour buses. And so, you know, it would be like a 12 hour drive between the venues and, My gosh. Uh, and the other bands would sleep on the, on the trip, but we would drive, you know, till late in the night and then wake up early in the morning and drive. And were you guys the only just, ones doing that? Uh, I 
think that there were one or two other bands on the tour that were still in. And then what bands were actually on? I don't remember that specific. Oh man. I don't know if I remember. Uh, I feel like it was that year was prodigy Snoop Dogg, uh, tool, um, James were bands playing the main stage. We were on the second stage. So Mm -hmm. keeping it real. (laughs) (laughs) You have any, um, of the bands that you saw during that time, you have any interesting stories or funny stories that you can tell our audience about that? Is there anything we should, is there anything that we would be surprised to know? Like is Snoop a vegan or, you know, is there anything, anything along those lines that you think would be interesting? It was always just sort of minor things. It would be like, you know, I don't know, we're, we're playing and you kind of look out and there's like John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin just standing there watching the show, standing next to, you know, the guitarist from Tool. And it's like, oh my God, these people are watching us play, you know? I mean, it's not outrageous, you know? And, and we weren't, again, we were, we were so busy trying to keep up with the tour that it wasn't really like we were spending a lot of time backstage, uh, uh, overdoing it that's cool that's super cool <laughs> that's super cool and then you're from you're from seekonk massachusetts right well i grew up in connecticut okay uh and then moved to boston and my formative years were were uh spent there um and then about i don't know around 2000 i moved to providence uh because i could afford to buy a house which was something i couldn't really afford to do in boston sure, sure. and uh and then moved. Oh, just so Seekonk is basically a sub. Well, it is a suburb of of Providence. It's just over the line into into Massachusetts. Right. So I lived there for a while. Yeah, that's cool. Because yeah. I, I actually went to high school in um, in Providence, and Seekonk was my old stomping grounds, and it's where we used to go to the we used to go to the movie theater there. You know, a thousand years ago. So yep. when, when I saw that on your bio, I was like, oh my God, you know, it's very rare that I talk to somebody. Well, first of all, it's very rare. I talked to a former rock star and it's also very rare that I talk to someone who's from back where I'm from. So that's, that's cool. Um, so tell me, tell us about like, you know, what was, I, one of the questions I always ask people when they're on the show is what was high school like for you? Because I, I really feel like <laughs> high school is such a formative experience for all of us. And some people absolutely hate it. And some people love it. And some people kind of fall in between. And so I always like to ask people, like, what was high school life for Jeff? You gotta, you, you gotta go there, do you? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Let's go there. Uh, I, uh, did not enjoy high school. Um, there were a lot of, uh, perfectly wonderful people there, but, uh, I, so I grew up in one of the suburbs of, of Hartford, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, it you know pretty conservative politically town it was the reagan era right at the time and i just i don't know i, I as a creative person uh as a sort of uh it's a semi hippie parental lineage uh it you know it was nice to be in a place that had such beautiful landscaping and, you know, especially as I've traveled around, around the country and the world since then, you know, I've really come to appreciate like, Oh, it's really, Connecticut's really beautiful. Um, but it just felt really kind of, um, sheltered and sort of, uh, provincial mindset. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's in this kind of nether zone between New York city and Boston, uh, and people who are kind of wanting to, to make it 
uh, tend to move to those places, uh, as I did. Um, and, uh, and you know, we had a, I tell people we had a, we had a, 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 a class in high school that was the, the first period of every day was a, a class called uh, current issues. Oh, and, gosh. um, and you know, it was talking about the issues of the day. And there were a group of, of students coaxed on by one of the, the teachers there who every time uh, they would mention Ronald Reagan's name, uh, they would break into applause. Oh. And I just found myself thinking like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and so I ended up managing to get into uh, – they just opened a uh, performing arts uh, school in Hartford – uh, and it was like a part-time thing. Like you went to your high school in the morning and then went to performing. Like it was like fame. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and so I went there, uh, in the afternoon, uh, for, I think my junior and, and senior year and, uh, and actually got to interact with people from Hartford with a wider variety of perspectives and, uh, and ethnicities and backgrounds and, and, uh, felt much more comfortable with that. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, that's cool. So, uh, and so then when you, so, you know, you were, you know, you were a rock star for a while and then tell me, tell us a little bit about the transition from being a rock, like a rock star into being a tech CEO and what you're doing now. How did that occur? And, and what was the sort of aha moment that you had that said like, Hey, I want to do this instead. Well, um, I mean, I'd always really been, uh, interested in technology and, you know, we had, uh, one of the first computer, you know, PC computers, uh, mm -hmm. desktop computers, uh, back in the eighties. And I, you know, really enjoyed messing around with that. I remember in like junior high school, I had a, a, a friend who was particularly technically oriented as well. And like the school, this was, let's see, junior high school, 1982, something like that. We got like the yeah. first desktop, the first computers in the school were coming in and the teachers were scared of them. And, and, uh, so we kind of became the, you know, we would, explain to the teachers what to do when it crashed and things like that. They were afraid to, <laughs> it would sit there with the, you know, the crash screen up for three days because they were afraid to turn it off and oh, turn it back great. on. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I kind of did that all along when I, I moved to Boston to play music and to go to music school. And, and, uh, uh, and I found, um, that if I did like computer temp work, uh, I could actually make pretty good money. 15, right, right dollars an hour if I learned doing PageMaker. So I, you know, uh, worked at a company called Mac temps at the time, uh, doing temp work on Macs, wow. happily named. And, uh, um, and, uh, I, I realized that if I learned, well, the application is now called illustrator. Uh, if I learned that, uh, that skill, uh, I could get, you know, $20 an hour paying jobs. And so, uh, I ended up getting a temp job at a, um, at a book publishing company called O'Reilly. Uh, they're now called O'Reilly media, uh, in Cambridge. And, um, and, uh, I was doing technical illustrations for their books, but they were really well-respected, um, tech book publisher and, and okay. pu published books about, you know, the internet protocol, uh, like the little ones and zeros, you know, how to, how to kind of, you know, make computers talk to each other and, and stuff like that. And, um, 
in, I think it was about 92, um, the people from CERN in Switzerland who were developing uh, the HTTP protocol, which we recognize from being at the front of all the URLs right, when we right. visit websites, uh, um, came to Cambridge to talk to the O'Reilly folks about writing some books about this because they thought this World Wide Web thing that they were putting together was really exciting. And, but, you know, it wasn't going to get popular if people didn't know how to use it. So they needed some documentation and stuff like that. And the people at O'Reilly said, well, this is great. You know, uh, we're, we're so excited about this that we will, not only will we write books about it, but we want to create uh, an online magazine. Uh, and we want to create the, the first online magazine. Um, and so I became a part of a team there uh, that developed what became the first commercial website, the first website to have ads on it. Wow. Uh, and website called uh, the Global Network Navigator, GNN.com. It eventually sold to AOL and and uh, sort of morphed into various things. I don't even know what's there these days. Uh, um, but yeah, that I, and then I got real excited and actually started uh, one of the first uh, web development companies um, and was doing that as I was starting up this new band. Um, wow. And so I had a lot of meetings with companies explaining to them why the web was a better solution than CompuServe or AOL or, you know, well, we went with Prodigy and that went out of business. And so, you know, our CompuServe site is still up, but uh, this web thing, why should we go with the web? Right. uh, What's interesting about that. The record deal. It was nice to just do something that just could kind of know what I was doing. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, what's interesting about that is, I mean, you, you've, most rock, I mean, I would see, not, not the stereotype, but it seems like most rock stars are, you know, probably not tech guys as well. And you sound like you had sort of two totally different paths that were sort of feeding your soul and that you really enjoyed and you were able to do them at the same time. And and that's really one of the things that's most interesting, I think, about your story is that, is that, you know, when you're, you know, first you're in tech then you go into music and then you go from music back into tech. It seems like you've always really sort of followed your, you know, what you want to do and what your why was, which I think is very difficult for people. I think a lot of people get stuck in their jobs and they get stuck in whatever they're doing and, you know, they really can't follow what they're doing. And it, and it sounds like not only did you follow, but you also made money doing it. So can you talk a little bit about what your actual why is and why you do what you do now and what inspires you? Oh, wow. Another um, big question, right? Yeah. It's a serious business. It's eight o'clock in the me, morning me, here. So I'm like, we're going to get deep. Triang- yeah. If I can triangulate this, I have always wanted to be an inventor. When I was a, a, a little kid, that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to invent things. Uh, I, um, you know, just really got excited about that idea of coming up with creative ideas uh, and, and assembling things to solve things for people. Um, and I think that that's been kind of the constant threat. That's been kind of the why for me. Uh, and you know, I think that there is a lot of overlap between technical thinking and musician thinking. It's a lot of, uh, 
you know, finding patterns and, um, you know, arranging things oftentimes meticulously, right. uh, to, uh, make them harmonize and all work together in a way, you know, to create a system, uh, that all works together. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean that, you know, I, I, in, it's interesting cause, um, I've actually been putting together a band, uh, recently. Um, oh, cool. and, and, uh, uh, it's, I need to kind of tell people, I, I sort of have this caveat when I start talking to people about like, Oh, you know, I'm a musician. And they say, Oh, let's get together and jam. And I say, Oh no, I don't, I don't really jam. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to say all of those, you know, songs, the standard songs that musicians seem to sit down and play on the acoustic guitar. I just want to create new music. Uh, I want to, you know, put together my own stuff. And, uh, um, and I actually kind of enjoy not really knowing, uh, you know, coming at it from this sort of virtuo virtuoso perspective, uh, um, sort of stumbling on the, um, sort of naive solutions to things. And to some extent, I think I've run business the same way. Uh, um, and even, you know, even this, this stuff in high school, like I, I wanted to not go by the book, whatever the book was sort of the conventional way of being, I wanted to kind of figure out my own route through life. And man, I ate a whole lot of ramen noodles, you know, sure. like, uh, it, it, there were times, even th that whole stint of of being signed to AM Records and and touring the country and putting out albums and uh, you know all that kind of stuff. Like, never really, I, I I never really sat down to think about how much money I was making annually. Right. Uh, but but you know, looking at it in retrospect, like it was a pretty meager living. But it felt like a really big win to be making a living doing that. Sure, um, sure, sure. I mean, you're doing and, something uh, that so many people want to do and are are unable to, or you never had the opportunity. So that's, that's interesting. I think the fact that you guys rode in a bus for a for a Lollapalooza or just in your van instead of a big tour bus. I think that's just, that's really funny. That's, yeah. uh, and it's really awesome too. I mean, it's, I mean, that would, that takes a certain level of foresight to be willing to do that. Um, when they're dangling a tour bus in front of you and saying, Hey, yeah, hop on the tour bus and, and you know, well, we yeah, even it. that was that like, let's try to figure it out ourselves, you know? Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's sort of a, a, a kind of a disrespect for authority that comes with that as sure. well. It's kind of like, you're saying that, but we don't quite see why, uh, yeah. you know, um, it doesn't quite add up to us. Let's see if we can do it our way. And if not, we'll kind of look back, you know, kind of fall back on the conventional, methodologies. Um, but, um, but it seems like, you know, by trying to forge your own path and, and figure it out on your own, uh, you know, and, and, and allowing yourself to falter, allow, allowing yourself to, to expecting that you will make mistakes and, and fail, um, uh, you know, is, is, is part of the process, but you're, you're much more likely to, uh, stumble on unique, um, and, and, uh, solutions that not only work for you, but that you feel like you own, um, do you, along those lines, do you feel that that was a big part of your success during that time? And, and actually in your life is that you're, you're okay being who you are and you're okay with failure and you're okay with trying different things and not necessarily following the book and, and knowing the, the way to go. <sighs> uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I know it's a tough question. I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, there. I I kind of joke sometimes that like the reason I'm on an entrepreneur is because otherwise I'm completely unemployable. <laughs> so you know, there's there's not a great ego that comes along with this. I don't feel like I've figured out the the keys to the universe. Uh, 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 but um, I think it's it's maybe perhaps a way of looking at it that there there aren't keys to the universe it's right. it's you know we're all just kind of going through life trying to figure it out and if we can admit what we don't know uh and and have a conversation about that and, and try and learn from it then then we can actually truly advance uh uh rather than um sort of ad, 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 advancing through artifice through through uh you know um you know, there is there is an aspect to fake it till you make it. Certainly, sure. uh, um, but it doesn't feel great when you you kind of feel like you're being artificial with the people around you, right. uh, and, and uh, um, yeah. So you know, it's really it's 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 been more of an exercise in authenticity than anything. Huh. That's cool. That's cool. Along those lines, what do you think are the, are the biggest keys to really having a truly, just a truly epic life? Um, my mom had a, had a saying that made its way through the various companies that I've been a part of over the years. Uh, uh, discipline is remembering what you want. Interesting. Uh, Ooh, I like and, that. and I think that there's this process of kind of checking in on a regular basis with what you want, uh, because you could say you want something and start heading out in that direction and get halfway there and realize like, Oh, this, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. Um, but to keep checking in with that, uh, on a regular basis, uh, and keep kind of banging that drum, you know, what do you, what do you want? What do you want to do? Are you, are you headed in that direction? Is, are the decisions that you are making moving you towards what you want to do, uh, want to be, uh, um, and, uh, I think that that, that kind of stuff has been, you know, when I think about sort of this idea of an epic life, uh, it's, it's that it's, it's trying to just continue moving in that direction. Um, I, uh, I live in Rhode Island now, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, as a, as a good Rhode Islander, I, I bought a, a sailboat over the winter. You have to, um, right? If you live in Rhode Island, yeah. I mean, it's crazy not yeah, to have yeah. a sailboat. And, uh, one of the things about sailing and, and actually pretty much most boating is that you're never really headed in the direction your goal is right. right. You have to tack and jive, <laughs> tack and jive. Right. It's a constant process of, of, of adjusting. Um, however, uh, if you sit at the dock and think, all right, let's plan this out. Perfect. If I can, I can plan everything out, plan it out, plan it out. Uh, uh, you'll never leave the dock because right. the wind will shift and, and you know, you just gotta get out there. You gotta get off the dock and head out. Uh, and just keep adjusting as you go, you know, yeah, try cool. to check in. Is this, is this where I want to be going? That's cool. Uh, that's super cool. Do you find that that, um, 
that advice from your mom has really, I mean, has, is that something she told you when you were really young? And is that something you've sort of followed most of, most of your, most of your life? Um, I, I, I picked it up probably at some point where, I, where, where it made sense to me. Sure. It may be something that she said, you know, I remember from younger, uh, her talking about sort of life, life being for learning, right? That, right. that life is a learning process. And that's something I've really taken to heart my whole life that, uh, that, you know, the, the meaning of life is, is learning. Uh, and, um, and to really master it is a, is a, is a process of learning, learning from your mistakes, uh, learning from other people, um, just trying to, trying to figure things out as you go. Um, um, but the, uh, uh, discipline is remembering what, what you want. Um, uh, I think I picked up later, later on around, around the, the time of, of playing in a band and stuff. Yeah, that's but. cool. That's cool. What do you think, um, if you could go back in time, cause it sounds like you're around my age. I graduated high school in 88. Yep. 87. I graduated. Oh, so. wow. Okay. So you're even older than me. Um, what would you tell the 20 year old version of yourself? What would the, what would, what, if you could go back in time and you could see the 20 year old Jeff, what would you say? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's been really interesting being a parent. Uh, I have a son who's 13 years old now mm. and, you know, I get the opportunities to say those things more, <laughs> as he gets into his teenage years. He's, he, he wants to listen less, but, but yeah. I want to tell him more. Um, you know, I think that, uh, there's just an aspect of, of, you know, it's going to be okay. Uh, or it'll all work out or it'll all come together because, you know, heading out on your own path like that and sort of forging your own way, um, feels like crazy maniacal behavior on a regular basis. I feel, why am I doing this? Why don't I just get a job working for somebody? Why don't I stop feeling like I, like I have something to share with the universe and that I, I need to be driven to do that, you know? Right. Uh, and, uh, um, but it all has worked out. I, I, um, you know, built off the band and, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't make a whole lot of money with that, but it's really great. And I feel really proud of it. Sure. Um, I don't have like bitter, bitter feelings about it. Uh, I, I know a lot of people who've sort of been through that process end up looking back, um, with some sense of bitterness. And, uh, I, I really, again, I just see it as kind of a learning experience. And when I started Lullabot, uh, in 2006, um, you know, there was so much that I was able to bring from, being in a band, yeah. uh, I would I'll kind of refer to the sayings that we had being in the band, surround yourself with people who are better than you, uh, um, right. you know, just make great songs, which was one of our mantras in the, in, you know, you can really get caught up in all the other stuff, <laughs> you know, should we, oh, we should play with this band, we should play with that band, we should get this radio station to play us, we should get that, but, but it's like, but are you writing good songs? Like, is right. are you actually good is is the the core of what you're doing up to up to par do you feel proud about it uh, right it's kind of uh, like that essential you know, thing right like if you have to you have to keep that stuff in mind because it's so easy to get caught up in the peripheral stuff and yeah i mean yeah. i totally get it man and that it's it's interesting you know you, you you're bringing up a uh just such an interesting point you kind of blow my mind a little bit because i mean like i was a band i was in a band in college 
and obviously nowhere near your level because I can't sing and, but we were still a band, but I learned so much about myself and it's really helped me a ton in my career in terms of like being able to face my fears and just being able to work with different people. And it, it actually taught me a lot about loyalty, believe it or not. It taught me a ton of, a uh, ton about loyalty because, you know, there was one moment in our original band where the guitarist at the time wanted to kick me out of the band. Cause he was like, and this is, you were in a college band in New York. Right. Uh-huh. And this is like, uh-huh. this is one of those, like, everybody gets a, you know, a 30 pack of Stroh's they drink it before they play and they go and play in front of a room of maybe 200 people max. Right. Uh-huh. And, and this guy was really serious and he was, he's like, Hey, we got a, his name, his name is kind of funny. His name was Jim. And he said, you know, we need to kick Jim Simcoe out of the band. Cause he's not, you know, he's not a, really that great of a singer. And then, uh, my other friend who was the drummer, his name was also Jim. So we had three gyms in our band. <laughs> I, I was in a band with three Jeffs in the band at one point in high school. <laughs> Someone weird. says Jim and everyone like gets up and turns like what? But so, so my, so my drummer who became, you know, who's one of my best friends in the world to this day. Um, he's like, no, you know, Jim and I started this band, meaning Jim Simcoe and I started this band. He's like, we're kicking you out. And so then they ended up kicking, <laughs> kicking the other Jim out, keeping me in and got another guy in. But you just, you just learn a lot about loyalty and about friendship and like the way to do things, way not to do things. But it's interesting what you're saying is like, you know, starting with the fact of, Hey, write great songs or Hey, you know, discipline is remembering what you're, you know, what you're really going after. Those are such key things I think in life. Cause especially, especially in our day and age, where it's so easy to become overwhelmed with the information and, you know, just this, the constant influx of things coming at you. You know, we've been on, we've been talking for half an hour. I've probably gotten, you know, I, I didn't even know how to turn the notifications off on my, on my computer, but I've probably gotten 15 of <laughs> 15 of them in like the last, you know, half hour. It's just easy to get caught up in that stuff. So I think it's interesting how, how you've been able to kind of lead your life in that way by really focusing on what's, what's been important to you. And I, and I think that that's an interesting lesson from the band perspective is like, let's write good songs first. Everything else will kind of work out after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it so, so much to, to, to learn from, from playing in a band, you know, being in a, in a group with people and just group dynamics and um, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot. I actually um, did a talk a couple of years ago that I called lessons learned from rock and roll. Oh, cool. uh, it's probably a video of it somewhere online, but uh um, where I was talking to people that run businesses about what I learned about business from playing in a band. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot. What were some of the things, you know, along that line, I mean, like, I don't want to go off on a big tangent, but what were some of those things? Like what were the biggest lessons you learned from being in a band that, you know, that you apply to life in business? Um, there, there, there was, uh, a story that I picked up that ended up being something that I needed to use. Uh, but I, you know, I went to, um, I went to Berkeley college of music out, out, out of when I graduated high school and, and, um, and found myself, um, <laughs> in yet another school that I was uncomfortable at. And, uh, um, and so I, I decided to just take the like business classes there. Right. Uh, I figured that was going to be the thing that was sort of the most valuable to me. I was not interested in becoming the fastest guitar player on the planet or the most 
jazzerific guy, you know, whatever. Uh, all that. That's uh, I was like into like Velvet Underground and <laughs> and like punk rock, and you know, it just seemed like uh, I don't know that I want to know more than three chords. Right. And uh, and so, um, but I remember a story uh, uh, that one of the teachers was telling about um, needing to kick your sibling out of the band. Uh, you know, that they're just, you know, can get to be a point where like, if it's not working, it's not working. And, uh, and, and uh, there was a point in orbit, uh, early on where, um, we had a guy in the band and it just wasn't working, you know, and it it was a three piece band. So like a third of the band isn't working (laughs) now from a personal state. like, I like this person. I want to, you know, support him. I want to, you know, but, um, I, you know, I think, but, but once we, uh, cleaned house a little bit and kind of started over, like, because there's also this fear, like we'll never find another bass player. Um, but right. we did, and it, and it was good to do. Uh, uh, and um, you know, so there's stuff like that 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 I I think I take to business these days. That that, uh, um, you know, I I I'm hesitant to say like sometimes business is business, uh, but ultimately it really has more to do with like the dynamics of a group and, um, and just trying to sort of balance that. Right. right. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, I, another thing actually that I talked about in that talk was just like this really, it's really powerful to be in a group of people standing up on a stage, uh, uh, sharing a message, communicating, like, you know, with a consistent thing, we put this together and we are presenting it. We are sharing it with you, you know? And I think that there are a lot of ways to sort of replicate that in, in business. Um, I, um, I actually sold, uh, my shares in Lullabot earlier, earlier this year. And Mm I, a new company called Yonder, which people can find at yonder.io. Um, Lullabot, uh, in, in this, I mentioned I, I prefer to write my own book rather than going by whatever <laughs> book people seem to be going by. Uh, Lullabot was a, is a fully distributed company. So it never had a, an office. Right. Uh, we just would hire people, you know, where, wherever we would find them. And, uh, and, and we built the company that way. Really successful company. Uh, and now, um, yonder is a company to help other companies figure out how to do that, uh, and to to support companies that are, that are doing remote work and, uh, want to, um, it's a cool name too. Yonder. That's cool. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll get all your information later on. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so, but you know, I, I do a podcast, uh, and we try to sort of put ourselves out there as much as possible writing, uh, and, you know, take kind of p- putting ourselves out there in front of people. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it can be really, um, I don't know, it really brings people together, uh, and, and it, it can feel a little bit, um, nerve wracking, uh, sure. to feel like, man, I, you know, I know some about this, but I don't know everything about this. I don't know if I want to stand up and present on this, but chances are, if you know something about a thing, you know more than a lot of other people about that oh, yeah. thing. And, and I think people, people just appreciate the courage of you going up there. Yeah. I know, I know that when, you know, when we, 
again, when we had our band, which was a very, you know, it's kind of been funny to call it a band. And we had, you know, a guitarist and a bassist and a drummer and me. And we had like basically two and a half really good musicians and then half of a good musician and then me. And, and it's one of those things where like, yeah, that's super nerve wracking, dude. Like you go up there and you're playing in front of a bunch of people. And like, I remember the first time we played and I was like, I'm playing in front of all my friends. I go to a super small college. If like we bomb, this is going to be horrible for the next four years because this is my freshman year that we did this. And I remember I was, I was, I have never in my life been as scared as I was that first time on stage. Cause I was like, holy shit. Like I can't get out of this. Like we're on stage. The microphone is here. They're starting to play the music. I have to start singing like soon. Like I can't drop it. I need go. to start singing soon. And I don't remember what the lyrics are. Yeah, me too. I was the same thing. I couldn't remember the lyrics or my, my thing. It's, it's kind of funny. Cause I would think of myself, it, you know, I'm a relatively smart guy relatively smart, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, I run a business, got a family, seem to be operating life pretty decently. Jesus, I cannot for the life of me know when to come into a song. So like everyone would start playing the song. And our, and our first song, we always used to open with No Sleep Till Brooklyn by the Beastie Boys. And that was our song, which if you play it right from a rock perspective, it's awesome because you can just play it really loud and it's just fantastic. But I could never... In, you know, in four years of having that band, I don't think I came in on that song correct one time. Not once. Couldn't do it. Could never figure it out. But there's something about that too, right? Like, how do you make it okay? How do you make it okay to falter? How, how do you set up the group? You can certainly set it up so that the other guys in the band get pissed off. Right. And, you know, and then, now we're talking about like culture, you know, building right. the culture of a group or a, of a company as it's come to be for me. Uh, do you create a culture where, you know, there's there's no room for error. And whenever anybody makes an error, they are, you know, called out on it, and maybe even fired. Right. right. Uh, James Brown was famous for that. Right. And he would always say, you know, when he says, I gotcha, what he's saying is, I heard you make a mistake. And he's pointing one of the guys in the band. You screwed up. You didn't come in on time. You've hit the wrong note or whatever. I got gotcha. you. And, uh, uh, you know, that's that, that was the culture of that band. The hardest working man in showbiz, you know, because right. he was a real taskmaster that way. Uh, and, uh, um, but you know, it's also, I've tried to kind of set up the culture around me to be like, Hey, listen, we all kind of make mistakes. Let's, you know, keep an eye on each other. Let's, uh, uh, try to keep it fluid enough so that, you know, if we kind of, if the song kind of takes a new route tonight, let's make it be okay. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah. That, yeah, that, that works too. <laughs> we kind of had that. It's funny you said that about the creating the culture because I, I don't think we set out to do that in our situation, but we definitely fit our, uh, our respective roles. Like there was this other band that played and, and forgive me for telling you all these stories, but you're the, you know, like you're, you're a legitimate rock star. So, you know, I don't really have an outlet to tell these things, but we, there was another band who played and they would play after us and they were really serious. And I remember their lead singer, like he's one of these dudes who always wore like a, you know, he's a white guy and wore a backwards beret. And he would have these lyrics that he had written and he'd be on stage with the lyrics in his hand on a piece of paper and he would be reading them as he was singing. 
And I remember like, they were like technically, I would say a good band, but my thing with our band, I was always like, look, you know, people are coming here to see us and they're coming here to dance and they're coming here to have a good time. So let's show them a good time. So I was like, you know, in my head, I was like, okay, if I can't sing and I never know when to come in, I can stage dive. I can hang from, I can hang from the, you know, the exposed pipes. I can, you know, you know, take my shirt off and throw it into the crowd and just get everyone kind of hyped up. And I was like, that's what, that's what we'll do. Like, let's do, let's do that. Let's be those guys because those guys will be more memorable than the dude who's holding, holding lyrics in his hand. And I really found that to be the case. And we ended up becoming a pretty popular band. Um, yeah, I mean, it, out it's a matter of looking at it holistically. It's easy, again, to kind of focus and say, you know, we need to be technically correct and not make any wrong notes when we get up on stage. But I don't know. People are there for entertainment. They're right. they're there. You know, uh, it's there was sort of this whole kind of uh, art art, you know, art schools spawning musicians like David Bowie and uh, Brian Eno and the talking heads and Iggy pop, you know, right. uh, uh, sort of throughout the seventies, you know, with this kind of perspective of like, let's kind of take a look at this differently. Like what do we, how can we entertain, uh, without necessarily, um, you know, focusing on it perspective, you know, particularly from that standpoint of, of, uh, you know, this uh, this idea this these these preconceived notions about what it means to to perform in a band but you right. know that that you're supposed to get up and and uh you know impress people with your technical prowess as the right. fastest guitar player on the planet you know uh and uh, I, I you know I, I don't think that I, I think that there's actually a certain inauthenticity to that uh um a sort of certain you know show offness to it sure, um, sure. that that has kind of turned me off but uh um but I can understand why people like it uh but you know and again to take that to life or to business like um this you know idea of well why why do you need to act this way in business or wear a suit or, uh, right. you know, all of those things, uh, to just kind of question it and see if it's actually, um, you know, heading you towards your goals. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. What, um, would do, I only have one, I only have one other question for you, but so what was the being in a band and, you know, this whole concept of taking your lessons from being in a band and into just into the world, what would you say, what was the hardest lesson to learn? What was it? What was, was there anything that came up in the band that was just difficult um, and became one of your hardest lessons to learn that you'd like that you could share? Hmm. And maybe not, you might not. I mean, you, you can be so evolved that like, Hey it's man, it's not that none are coming to mind. It's that too many things. <laughs> are coming. Um, I don't know. Um, I, uh, it's a tough question. Yeah. I'd got, I'd gotten into it, it, the, the, the band that I was in previous to orbit, um, had kind of evolved, you know, we'd met sort of as friends and put together the, a band, um, without any particular, goals around it or even sort of guidelines uh of like how this 
you know, if there was a primary songwriter or, or whether everything was going to happen as a group. And, and a lot of, um, a lot of the decisions were made without decisions being made. Right. Right. Uh, and it ended up sort of evolving in a way that ended up being really uncomfortable for me. Um, uh, I, I, um, you know, I want to, I want to say this in a, in a way that respects the other guys in the band, if they were to, if they were to listen to this, but I was, uh, probably the most driven person in the band. Okay. Um, you know, this was like, I, wanted to do this and the other guys were more um you know i had I'd, I'd met them through jobs i had or or whatever and said like hey you should be in my band you play guitar hey be in my band hey you play drums be in my band and um and uh and so by contrast um i seemed a little bit uh selfish overly sure. driven uh, egotistical was the word that, that came to mind there a lot. And I, um, I wasn't really tracking that. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm the old, oldest child. Uh, and so, you know, I was just sort of used to kind of like things kind of getting, getting flowing my way, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, ba- you know, basically I, you know, at one point I kind of came to the band and said like, listen, just give me control. I think I, I think I got this figured out. I think we can really make it. And unbeknownst to me, the next night they had a meeting and decided to kick me out of the band. Uh, <laughs> too much. Uh, you know, I was a little bit blindsided by it, but at the same time, it also was this kind of like revelation to me. Sure. Um, it was, it, you know, like I had, had been trying to fit into this situation that wasn't working. And these people who were kind of resenting me and trying to just sort of fly under the radar and not really call the resentment resentment or, right. or whatever. And, uh, um, and getting out of it was so liberating, um, that really from there on, I really tried to have clear, tried to talk about those things with, with in, in the next band. I remember specifically saying to, to Paul, the drummer that I started or, orbit with, uh, I said, listen, I might be an asshole. <laughs> the guys in my last band thought I was an asshole. I really don't want to be an asshole. Will you keep an eye on me and let me know if I'm being an asshole? And you know, it didn't really help that from there on out, but like, um, that's great. I mean, there's, there's a certain beauty of being really self-aware as to what you're, you know, kind of who you are. You being know, aware of what you're not aware of even, yeah, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and I tr- have tried in the relationship since then, uh, and especially as we started to get involved in the music business and contracts and legal stuff, uh, you know, there's a lot uh, that you ca- – I, I'm all for sort of organic growth and kind of getting start jump in and just kind of figure it out. But there is some some point where you kind of need to say, "Hey, listen, guys, I I seem to be writing most of these songs, so I'm thinking I'm going to take songwriter ownership. If I just want to check with you guys to see if that's okay, uh, it feels like what seems like a good balance to me. This is an awkward conversation to have, but yeah, I'm glad I had that conversation then rather than." 10 years later, you sure, know, sure. and, you know, and having been through, uh, various other sort of legal, uh, 
skirmishes uh, that seem to happen so much around the music business. Uh, um, you know, I, I it, these days I I try to. I mean, contracts are simply written agreements, right? Sure. They're, they're like, let's write this down and sign it so that we both know what we're agreeing to, and and that can be done. <laughs> in other ways sure, can, sure. it's, it's really about communication and kind of uh and trying to sort of be as above board about things and ultimately there's a certain vulnerability to it as well yeah so, yeah of course of course well listen thank you so much for being on the show where can people find you uh well let's see uh my personal website where i actually do business coaching also oh, cool. uh at, uh at jjeff.com j-j-e-f-f.com um, is, is where that happens. And then, uh, yonder is the company that I'm starting up and we run a conference for, um, managers and owners of, uh, remote companies and remote teams. And, and we're kind of trying to help sort of push a movement forward in a new way of, of, uh, thinking about work, uh, and, and, uh, kind of empowering, more people in that way. And that's all happening at yonder.io. And we've got a podcast there and a newsletter. And if, if anybody listening is interested or curious about remote work, uh, definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put, I'll put a link to the show notes. Well, um, well, thank you so much for being on. It's, it's, uh, pretty cool. Like, I mean, it's, you, your story is just such an interesting story and it's just, uh, it's just really enjoyable to hear hear that and also know kind of like, you know, what you've learned both from being in a band and sort of following your own path and, and the, just the great advice that you got from your mom. Jeez, maybe we should have her on the podcast someday. It sounds like, <laughs> sounds like she's like my mom. It's just pearls of wisdom left and right. <laughs> she, she had several careers, uh, over, over her life and, uh, ended up actually as a, as a therapist and, and got her, her doctorate, I think at age 60, uh, a few years back. So my mom's uh, a therapist too. She's yeah. a therapist and social worker. That's <laughs> so great. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you once again, man. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jim. It was, it was a pleasure talking yeah, to you. You got it. And guys, thanks for checking in. And, uh, I'll put the, I'll put Jeff's contact information in the show notes where you can reach him. And thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for checking out the show today for show notes, event updates, and tons of other free stuff. Check out epicalday.com. And if you would, I would love it if you were able to leave a review on iTunes as this really helps other people find our show. Thanks a ton. I appreciate you listening and I'll talk to you soon.